Once there was a tree, and she loved the little boy. And every day the boy would come, and he would gather her leaves and make them into crowns and play king of the forest. He would climb up her trunk and swing from her branches and eat apples, and they would play hide-and-go-seek. And when he was tired, he would sleep in her shade. And the boy loved the tree uh, very much, and the tree was happy. But time went by, and the boy grew older, and the tree was often alone. Then one day, the boy came to the tree, and the tree said, Come, boy, come and climb up my trunk and swing from my branches and eat apples and play in my shade and be happy. I'm too big to climb and play, said the boy. I want to buy things and have fun. Uh, I want some money. I'm sorry, said the tree. Uh, I don't have any money. I have only leaves and apples. Uh, Take my apples, boy. Sell them in the city. Then you will have money and you will be happy. And so the boy climbed up the tree and gathered her apples and carried them, them away. And the tree was happy. But the boy stayed away for a very long time. And the tree was sad. And then one day, the boy came back. And the tree shook with joy. And she said, come, boy, climb up my trunk and swing from my branches and be happy. I'm too busy to climb trees, said the boy. I want a house to keep me warm. I want a wife and I want children. And so I need a home. Can you give me a house? I have no house, said the tree. The forest is my house. Uh, But you may cut off my branches and build a house and, and then you will be happy. And so the boy cut off her branches and he carried them away to build his house. And the tree was happy. But the boy stayed away for a very long time. And when he came back, the tree was so happy that she could hardly speak. Come, boy, she whispered. Come and play. I'm too old and too sad to play, said the boy. I want a boat that will take me far away from here. Can you give me a boat? Cut down my trunk and make a boat, said the tree. Then you can sail away and be happy. And so the boy cut down her trunk and made a boat, and he sailed away, and the tree was happy. But not really. And after a long time, the boy came back. I'm sorry, boy, said the tree, but I have nothing left to give you. My apples are gone. My teeth are too weak for apples, said the boy. My my branches are gone, said the tree. You, You can't swing on them. I'm too old to swing on branches, said the boy. My trunk is gone, said the tree. You can't climb. I'm too old to climb, said the boy. I'm sorry, sighed the tree. I wish that I had something to give you, but I have nothing left. I'm just an old stump. I'm sorry. I don't need very much, said the boy. Just a quiet place to sit and rest. I'm very tired. Well, said the tree, straightening herself up up as much as she could. Well, an old stump is good for sitting and resting. Come, boy. Sit down and rest. And the boy did. And the tree was happy. Are any of you familiar with this story? I see some heads nodding. It's The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein, one of my favorite authors when I was a kid, mainly because of his great poems about boogers and things like that. But every now and then, he had a story, a poem, like this here before us that I just read. Shel Silverstein wasn't a Christian, but he understood what sacrificial love was all about, which we see demonstrated 
in this poem of a tree who gave everything possible to the boy that she loved. Even the world understands what sacrificial love is. Maybe not the full extent, and they definitely don't understand the source, but the act of giving of oneself is understood as something of significance. And the passage that we're going to read this morning is all about sacrificial love. But it's much more significant than a tree giving up its branches and fruit and limbs and trunk to a young boy. So before we jump into John 15, let's ask the Lord's blessing upon our time this morning. Father, we thank you again, as I do every week, for the freedom and the opportunity to gather together as your church and the time that we have here to open up your word and to see what it has to teach us, and to see where your Spirit will lead us in that. And so this morning, Father, as we open your word and as we look at the words that it says, may we uh, just be moldable, may we be impressionable, may we be open to what you will teach us. Give us open ears, open minds, and open hearts this morning. That is our request. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the last six weeks five or six weeks, we've been looking at the Upper Room Discourse, uh, that passage of Scripture from John 13 through John 17, when Jesus meets with his disciples for that final time before his crucifixion, his final night that he has with them, where he pours himself out to them, trying to help them uh, make it through what's going to happen as he's crucified. Because he's the one that's going to suffer the pain. He's the one who's going through the agony But they are going to be destroyed in a sense. And so he's building them up and comforting them and encouraging them as he's prepared to leave this earth. They're going to be left behind. And so this morning we're going to review. I've been doing this each week. I believe in review. I've been taught as a teacher to review because it helps us to remember, right? And so let's review once again what we've looked at since uh, we started in John chapter 13 verses 1 through 17. In that first passage, that first week, we looked at Jesus and the act when he started the evening off by getting down on his hands and knees and washing the disciples' feet. And the example that he set there as a humble servant, someone who the creator of the whole world got down and washed the feet of the people who should be bowing down before him. And he demonstrated that to his disciples and ultimately to us, that as believers and followers of him, we should model that same attitude of a humble servant. Then the next week in John 13, verses 18 through 38, we see the story of betrayal, specifically Judas's betrayal, as he sells out Jesus. He'd been following him. He'd been giving his life and, and being trained as one of his disciples, and yet he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand what Jesus is all about. And so when he finally starts to realize that Jesus isn't going to be who he thought he was, He turns him over. He betrays him to the chief priests and the religious leaders, which ultimately led to his crucifixion. We also talked about Peter's betrayal through his denial after Jesus is arrested and our betrayal of Jesus when we sin against him. And then in John 14, verses 1 through 14, we saw Jesus give assurances, comfort, and more reassurances to his disciples as he prepares them for that night saying, yes, you know what, we betrayed him, he was, uh, uh, they betrayed him, but it's going to be okay because, because he's with them. And he's going to come back and he's going to restore them. And we see that he actually did that in the case of Peter after his crucifixion, right? He gives us comfort, assurances. In John 14, 
just a couple weeks ago, verses 15 through 31, we saw the cycle of love, obedience, and the Holy Spirit. The verse says that if you love me, you will do what? You will obey me. And if you obey me, you will receive the Holy Spirit, right? And the Holy Spirit allows us to love him more. And as we love him more, we obey him more and we receive more of the Spirit. And so the cycle continues, but it grows larger and larger and larger as we practice that that cycle. And then last week, we looked at John 15, 1 through 11, at the story of a fruitful branch and what it means to abide in the vine, to remain in Jesus. And as we remain in Jesus through practicing spiritual disciplines, what happens? We bear fruit, right? We, we have the fruit of the Spirit exhibited in our lives. And people can look at us and see that we are productive uh, parts of the kingdom of God. And, and as we are kind and, and generous and patient and those, the, all those things that we talked about last week. <clears throat> so this week, we're going to look at John 15, 12 through 17. We're a smaller passage this week, but no less vital uh, to understanding what our part to play in this thing called Christianity is. So let's read John 15, verses 12 through 17. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Okay, I love this passage. Uh, when, when you study God's word, I was taught this when I took biblical hermeneutics in, in graduate school uh, and in my undergraduate school and uh, basically every Bible class I ever took in college. Uh, there are certain things that you need to look for when you read a Bible passage. Some of those things are repetitive words, thoughts that you see pop up over and over, uh, the metaphors, the similes, the comparisons that are used, uh, words like therefore. We always said, what's the therefore, therefore? Right? We need to ask our questions, ourselves these questions. Well, in this passage, we see something called a bookend. A bookend. And so it starts off in verse 12 with, this is my command, or my commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you. And then it ends with what? Verse 17, this is my command, love each other. So he starts with his command, and he ends with his command, meaning that everything in between has to do with that point. So our point today is love one another as I have loved you. But let's look real quickly at this outline, because it's pretty interesting to me. In this passage, we have a what, a who, and a how. Kind of those investigative questions. The what. Uh, what is the what? What do you think? I heard someone say it. Love, right? The what is, what are we supposed to do? Love each other, right? Or, oh, and I almost got ahead of myself there. What's the who? Love each other, right? The what is, we are to love. Who? Each other. Now, how? As he loved us. Okay, just like Jesus loved us. And then it goes to the next verse where it explains... How he loved us. How did he love us? By laying his life down for us. It was a sacrifice. Remember I mentioned that in that, uh, the poem, The Giving Tree, it's about sacrificial love. God's saying, love each other just like I loved you in a sacrificial way. 
And then it says, uh, how do we love uh, like him? And how does he love us? Um, I just got completely off my notes there. So that's all right. <laughs> uh, but how does Jesus love? You know, he lays his life down for his friends in verse 13. And then in 14, it tells us who his friends are. Who are his friends? Us, those who obey him. Are you catching some themes that are popping up here? Maybe we've heard in some of our prior messages over the last five weeks. Uh, you are his friends if you obey him. Uh, if you love me, you will obey me. And then it says, if, uh, if you obey, you go from being a servant to a friend. So there's a change in our relationship status with the creator of the world who was our master and we were his servants. And as we love him and obey him, we become his friend. We become close, personal friend of Jesus. And then he says, as my friend, you have a responsibility to go and bear fruit. Are you catching some of the, these, like every single verse in this passage is referenced in the, the, the passages that we've studied over the last five weeks. And then the command, once again, is to love each other. This, uh, this passage refers back to John 13, 34, where it says, uh, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commands. So in this passage, in this upper room discourse, from the beginning in John 13 to the end of it in John 17, we have this concept of love mentioned over and over and over again. And what is he talking about? What kind of love is Jesus referring to here? You know, in English, we use a lot of uh, the word love in a lot of different ways, don't we? You know, we use that very uh, casually. I love football. I, I, I literally, I do love football. Uh, it's great. I devote my time and attention and energies to it. I watch it. I study it. I love football. I also love Mexican food. Um, it, you know, I, it's great. It's my favorite type of food. Uh, I love my family. I, I love my wife and Mexican food. I love, <laughs> I love God, right? I, I, I use each of those, I use love, the same word for all of those phrases, but they all mean something different, don't they? I love football. It brings me a lot of enjoyment to my life. It provides a lot of entertainment. And I like giving my time to it because it gives something back to me. I love Mexican food. It gives my taste buds satisfaction and enjoyment, right? It pleases my senses. I love my family. My family's given me so much. They've provided for me. They've cared for me. I have a fondness and a familiarity with them. I love my wife. There's a tender and personal connection there. I love God. There's a sacrificial appreciation for who he is. I read a quote this week from Charles Stanley. It says, I love you. Those three words are cheap unless they come from a heart that understands what true, genuine giving of oneself for another is all about. And we say that word so much. I love you. I love you. Even, even in a marital relationship, as you walk out the door, I love you. You, know, you don't even put any thought into it, right? But it has to come from a place of sacrifice within us. In the New Testament time period, there was four words mainly used for the word love. Three of them are found in Scripture. One is not, but it's alluded to quite a few times. And that one is uh, eros. It's a passionate, intimate, sensual love. Uh, we have to be careful. We have to guard 
against that type of love because it can lead us down the wrong path very quickly. Uh, the other kind of love is phileo. Phileo. It's a friendly love. It's something we like. It's genuine and warm. We might be, uh, we, we love our brothers or our, our friends. It's that type of love. And then there's agape, which is a deep and sacrificial love. And then finally, uh, storge. It's a familial, uh, something that we experience within our family. It's comforting and it's affectionate. <coughs> it's found in the story, <coughs> excuse me, of Mary and Martha, where they loved their brother Lazarus and asked Jesus to come and to help him. Okay, so we have eros, phileo, agape, and storge. When we look at John chapter 15 and really that whole upper room discourse, we're specifically looking at agape love, that deep sacrificial love, the love that Jesus showed us, he demonstrated to us when he died on the cross for our sins. When I was in Bible college, I had a professor, uh, Dr. Kenneth Beckman. Uh, he's the grandfather of Amy, uh, Doug's wife. And he had a great definition of love that's, that's stuck with me ever since, my, when I was a freshman in college. He says, uh, love is an overwhelming concern for another's well-being without regard as to what you receive in return. Okay, it's about what can we give, not about what I get back. Unconditional, sacrificial love is about me giving, not about me receiving. The point is that agape love is not simply an impulse generated from feelings. That's what differentiates this type of love from eros and from phileo and storge, which are emotion-driven, feeling-driven. Agape love is an exercise of the will. It's a deliberate choice. That's why when God says us, tells us to love our enemies, he's not commanding us to have warm, good, fuzzy feelings towards them. Right? He's saying that uh, we have to act in a loving way towards them. Uh, it's, it's about sacrificing even for them. It's related to obedience and commitment, not necessarily feelings and emotions. Agape love. It's the type of love that gets you through crisis. It's the type of love that heals relationships, that restores marriages, uh, even when they have every right to fall apart. Agape love is the type of love that keeps a church together during difficult crisis, difficult times. And we here at Southside have experienced that first, firsthand, haven't we? It's the type of love that gives us personally value when the world says we are worthless. It's the type of love that takes a sinful beaten down, broken person and elevates them to the place where they're at a banquet table with the very creator of the universe. It's the type of love that has been shown to us over and over again by the Lord, but never more than his death on the cross. And this is the type of love that we are asked to show one another. No, take that back. We're not asked to show it. We're commanded He tells us, this is what you must do. This is my command to show agape, self-sacrificing love to each other. How much of this love is enough? How long should we love? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 10, it says, Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. 
And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more and more and more. So he's saying that we, well, you have a reputation for loving others. You have a reputation for caring and sacrificing. But that's not enough to just have that reputation. It's not enough to do it once. It's not enough to do it for a week, for a month, for a year. He's encouraging them to keep that going, to love more and more, to sacrifice more and more, to care about each other more and more. And what's the result? What is the result of that taking place? The world will know that we are his. And isn't that what we're all about? Letting the world know that we are his and that he loves them. There's no greater way for us to demonstrate that than for us to practice unconditional, sacrificial love. That's why we're memorizing John 15:12, when we memorized Romans 5:8. Uh, we're going to put that up on the board again. Last week, or last month, I had you memorize a verse that tells us exactly how much God loved us. And it's not that phileo, eros, storge love. He demonstrated his, his agape love for us in this. While we were still sinners, what? Christ died for us. And so this month, when we, when we memorize John 15, 12, I want you to look at this verse in light of Romans 5, 8. Go ahead and throw that one up there if you got it. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. How did he love us? He died on the cross for us. He sacrificed everything for us. In fact, we look at the cross as his ultimate sacrifice. Man, he was God. He was the creator of everything. And yet he limited himself to a human body. That's sacrifice. He lived a perfect life and denied his fleshly urges for us so that he could be that... Perfect sacrifice. And he asked us, love each other just like that. Okay, it's pretty simple. It's not always easy, but it's simple. Love one another. So this week, as I give you the take-it-homes, the challenge this week to memorize John 15, 12, there's a reason for that, right? There's a reason so that we fill our hearts and our minds with this message of agape love so that it can, can be seen outflowing out from our hands and our feet and our words and the things we say and do and, and every action that we have this week. You know, this message that I give each week, it can't be the end of our study. It can't be the end of what we do as Christians each week. It has to go home with you. There has to be something. This is just a starting point. It reminds me of, of when I was a kid and we would go to the river to go swimming. And I can remember standing on the bank, and I'd see people jumping in the water, and I'd be like, that looks fun, but man, I'm going to drown, right? And so I'd stand there just afraid. And so my dad, being the loving father that he is, would come up and push me right into the water, right? And what would happen? Oh, I'd flounder for a second, right? And then pretty soon I'd get things under control, and guess what would happen? I'd have fun. Right, And then, the rest of the day, I'm jumping off the rock doing whatever I need to do. But I needed a little nudge, right? Well, here you go. You've been nudged. My dad was here last hour, and he corrected me, though. He said, I didn't push you off the rock. I picked you up and threw you off the rock. So, <laughs> that's dad, all right. Here's the next one. Take it home. Take this home. Look up five Bible passages that deal with loving one another. 
See, the Bible is filled with one another's. And I've talked about them up front here. If you've ever gone to one of Jamie's classes, he talks about the one another's all the time. In fact, this morning in his class, he talked about the one another's. Those one another's of Scripture. And I have a list of them, if I can find it in my notes here. If you were in his class, you might have gotten this page. If you're on Facebook, you might have seen my post this week of 36 different one another's. And I'd encourage you to read through those and find some of them and and, uh, think about them and meditate on them this week. Be at peace with one another. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Instruct, accept, serve, carry one another's burdens, forgive each other. Uh, um, teach one another, admonish another, one another. Scripture is filled with these one another's. And these are how we demonstrate to others the sacrificial love of Jesus. We're not called to be nailed on a cross. Jesus already took care of that. We're called to serve and to be kind and to love one another. Romans 12, Galatians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians 4, 5, James 4 and 5. These are verses filled with one another's. And if you don't want to look them up, go to Facebook. I post them up there for you. (laughs) Here's another one. Commit to showing God's love to one new person this week. Just one. Find one person. Find one of those one another's and practice it. If you don't think it will make a difference, I challenge you, do it and then tell me it didn't work. Okay? Put it to the test. You will see a difference, if not in their life, in your own. And let's say you're a sit in the front row, take lots of notes, ace every test type person. You can do two. Right? (laughs) Sacrificial love. It's It's a simple concept. It's difficult to do. You know, maybe you have those apples in your life that you can give or branches that can be sacrificed for someone else. Or maybe it's, it's the whole, whole trunk. Maybe you're just got, all you got left is a stump. We, can, we all have something to give, right? We all have something to sacrifice for someone else. And so that's my challenge to you this week. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. And we thank you for the ultimate example that your son set for us when he died upon that cross. Uh, He started it off by confining himself to a mortal body, but he ended it with that ultimate display of sacrifice. Father, I just pray that that sacrifice won't uh, go unattended to in our own life. You don't call us to die on that cross, but you call us to love one another, to serve one another. And I pray, Father, that each of us individually will have opportunities this week to do those things. And, Father, I pray for the conviction of our spirit that you will show us those things clearly and vividly in our lives. And I pray, Father, that as you show them to us, as we have that opportunity, as you convict us, that we will act on it and we will actually do that love. We will actually be kind, be forgiving, and the other one and others that we've talked about. So, Father, we give you our lives, we give you this week, and we ask that you work through us in it. In your precious Son's name we pray. Amen.